This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. Woot woot. Right? I'm glad that you're here. Uh, Last week of July. Everyone say the last week of July. Has time flown or what? Anybody expect the middle of the summer to already be here? Uh, I hate to tell you, but next week is August number one. The summer is gone, or almost gone, right? Not to bring gloom, despair, and agony, but it's like it's gone really fast, hasn't it? Anybody else sense that? Uh, today we are, we're glad that you're here. We're finishing up our, our last sermon on Crash Course, uh, a sermon that I'm excited to preach, a sermon I'm excited for you to hear, hoping that you hear, praying that you hear, asking the Holy Spirit to impart into your spirit something deep, not just an idea, not just a feeling. How many of we know we don't walk by feelings, uh, but we want God's truth? How many say, I want God's truth? But before we get there, I want to give you a couple uh, just quick announcements. Young adults, this Wednesday, we're gathering together at Pastor Trenton and Pastor Alley's house, and we're excited to get back out. I'm young adult at heart, so I'm going to be there, and we're going to rock the barbecue and have some fun. Uh, but you need to register by tomorrow, so uh, make sure you do so. I know that we've had some that have come back and go, well, we want our kids, and we're not saying we don't want your kids, but we don't want your kids. Uh, we love your kids, but we're, we really know that it's, space is limited. But also, we know that sometimes parents need a break from their kids. And so we're trying to give an avenue for you to have a break from your kids and for you to get refreshed and just to build and step into relationship and say, that's good. Yeah. Uh, car wash is this Saturday. We don't need any more volunteers, but we need you to come and donate money. Uh, we need you so we can wash your car. Well, not we. I'm putting myself in their boat. But, so they can wash your car. The youth group can wash your car. Go, go muddying or something before you come. Would you do that? <laughs> go make it, worth your, make, make it worth the money that you're going to donate, the hundreds of dollars. I guarantee if you give them 100 bucks, they'll wash the underside of your car. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. Blue Elephant does it for 14, so what's the deal if they give you 100 bucks, right? Anyway, uh, today, if you are, came in, hopefully all of you received emblems for communion. Make sure you have those. If you did not get one of those, if you'd raise your hand high, we want to make sure that you have one so you can partake, and our ushers will help you uh, if you have one. Online, uh, the reason I'm doing this call-out, shout-out, is you don't have a cup like this. You don't have it all conveniently packaged. So as I do my quick review on Crash Course, would you run to your kitchen, grab a, a cracker, and grab a glass of water? water or a glass of juice, can I tell you, it doesn't matter that the emblem that you use, it's the remembrance that you do it in. So we want to invite you. This is our first time of communion together as a corporate body in 15 months. So uh, today, this is, a, this is a celebration moment, amen? So we're going to be able to do that as we end this service. Uh, Crash Course. Uh, Crash Course is a rapid or an intense course of study, a course that teaches you a lot of basic facts in a short amount of time. As we look back over the last six weeks, we've given you a lot of information. A lot of people have said you've stepped on our toes. You've been in, your fa- in our faces with some concepts, and uh, I, I hope that your toes are healing to a degree, but I hope that they leave enough pain that you remember what we're supposed to be. I hope that you're feeling a little bit in your face uncomfortable. Can I tell you that God is in our face and he's a little bit uncomfortable? He should make us uncomfortable. The holiness of God is a comfort, but it is also a discomfort. And uh, we, sh- we should be able to come into his presence with boldness, but there should be a humility and an uncomfortableness as we come into his presence. And sometimes we like to be chummy and we want to be all buddy-buddy, but God wants, doesn't want to be your buddy. 
God wants to be your friend, but he wants to be recognized as God. Amen? So today, as we are talking about this, we've been talking about a B-tube and the purposes of the church, and we have this amazing video that we're going to watch for the last time. Thanks to the Anderson brothers. We love that video. Thank you so much for helping us out, Blake and Jaden, who's up in Kids Ministries right now, but they did an amazing job with that. Uh, be the church. Be this, acti- be this, this entity. You know, none, of those, none of those phrases in that process are uh, nouns. They're all verbs. There's all action to them. And we've been looking at a lot of different things through this process. A phrase that we use at the beginning, the very first sermon that I want to bring us back to as we step into the conclusion of this, but to step into this message this morning, is we can sit back and we can watch. How many are watching the Olympics? How many have binge-watched on Netflix throughout the last several months? How many, anybody guilty of binge-watching or just watching TV every single night, whatever it is? We can sit back and we can watch, or we can step in and we can be. You know, I don't know about you, but when I watch the Olympics, I get a little bit inspired knowing that I can't leap like they can, and I definitely can't swim like they do, but, you know, I'm going, what can I do? I want to be something, right? Does it, does it motivate anybody else as you watch their lives and watch these athletes that just press in? The church is something to be, not just something to see. So as we look at the church, as we open God's word and we see this church, we should desire to be something. Somewhere it should motivate us. When we look at the book of Acts, somewhere it should inspire us to go, I want to be like that. It's not perfect. It has humanity. It has flesh. It's broken. They've got, they've got dissension and all those things that are there. But you look at it and you go, that's attractive. Something was going on in that book. We want to be something or to be something. The question we kind of started off with is, what kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? When you step into this concept of going, if you are the church and you were the church and everyone looked just like you and participated just like you, what would the church look like? Would it be a healthy church? Would it be an unhealthy church? Would it be an active church? Would it be a church that is a spectator church? 
would be a church that participates in giving and serving. As we've been walking through the process, we had a question every, ser- every sermon. What kind of church would my church be if every member reached the lost just like me? What kind of church would my church be if every member served just like me? What ministries would we have if you were the only one in the church? What kind of church would my church be if every member grew and discipled others just like me? Last week, Pastor Larry preached an amazing message and he asked the question, what kind of church would my church be if every member fellowshiped just like me? If every person was in relationship just like me, when we step back to our our mission statement, our vision statement for for Relevant Life Church, it starts out with connecting with God. Connecting with God, and then it goes to relating to people. Can I tell you that all five of these statements are an attitude of connecting with God and relating to people, and the people outside, and it goes on to reaching our world. Can I tell you, as you look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, you see a church that was connected with God, that was in relationship with people, and was actively evangelizing. Their church was, it says that they, uh, thousands were being added to their number daily. We look at that and we go, do we want to be part of that kind of church? Do we want to be part of that kind of, how many want to be part of that kind of church? Can I tell you, as you raise your hand, you have to step back and go, am I that kind of church? Are we expecting that to happen from somebody else? Are we expecting someone else to do it or am I going to do it? Say, I'm going to do it. Oh, come on, that wasn't convincing. Say, I'm going to do it. There you are. Today we want to talk about worship, this aspect of worship. Worship is life. Everyone say, worship is life title of my message this morning, Worship is Life. Worship is not just a way of life. Worship is not just an event in our life. Worship is life. Life, Worship is life-giving. How many find life life life-giving when you worship the Lord? When you go through the, the, the functions of raising your hands and clapping your hands. But can I tell you today, we're not just talking about what you get or the life that you get when you go through a function of worship like we think in a corporate body. Today I'm going to talk about worship being life. The life you live is your worship. The life, everything you do in your life is worship unto God. What kind of church would my church be if every member worshiped God just like me? What kind of church would my church be if everyone lived just like I live? What kind of church would it be that the community would look at? Would they see Jesus or would they not? Would they see someone who sacrifices and willingly lays down their life for God or would they see someone who's self-absorbed and cares only about themselves? Worship is the response of God's people. That phrase in this statement is worship is the response to God from the people who are in relationship and worked and grew and filled the church that Christ built. Worship is a response to the recognition of who God is and what he asks of us. Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 22 and he gives us a really bold statement, a statement that is beyond our ability to even ascribe to, but we get motivated by it. He says in Matthew chapter 22, and he said, said, one came to them and said, what's the most important commandment? Isn't that our humanity to go, okay, God, what are the steps that I need to take? Anyone like steps? What are, what are the things I need to do so that, I, so that I can be where I'm supposed to be? We, we like to check the box. And this guy is coming in his personality. He's going, so what are, what's the most important one, Jesus? And Jesus comes back and he says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest 
the foremost commandment. You know, it's a phrase that we know and we come back and go, God, I love you with all my heart, my soul, my strength. God, help me, blah, blah, blah. Can I tell you that this verse of scripture is a verse of worship. It's a verse of priority. Jesus is coming and saying, if you truly want to worship me, you've got to love me like this. You've got to love me in your entirety. It's not a segment of a service. It's not a 15 to 20 minute little ditty that we do with music, although that's amazing and I love our music and I love our worship leaders. But can I tell you, worship is far more than just a 20 minute segment of a service. Worship is far more than the greatest CD that you purchase and plop into your car. Worship is far more than music and words. Worship is a lifestyle. And Jesus comes and he says, I want you to love me. I want you to worship me. I want you to adore me. I want you to prioritize me with your heart, your soul, and your mind. When we look at this passage of scripture, we have to immediately go back to when Jesus, when, what Jesus is summing up. We have to go back to Exodus. We have to see in the Old Testament why this passage of Scripture is so important. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, there's Ten Commandments. Four of them are focused on God, and six of them are focused on relationship to people. And Jesus is coming and going, I'm going to sum up these ten, and I'm going to give you the two most important. And the number one is to love God, and the other one is to love people. And today, as we look back, the first four commandments, let's look really quickly. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall worship no other beings. There should not be anything else in your life that is superior to me. I am, I am the one that you want to serve. He's speaking to, God is speaking to a culture that is an image culture. And can I tell you today, in America, we're still an image culture. We're still an image culture. You say, well, I don't have an image, but we can sit and we can step back and we can almost, in a sense, worship sports or worship a, a, a musician. We, we can get lost in this process of image. Anybody get concerned about your image? Can I tell you that that's self-worship? When you're worried about your image and about what people are perceiving of you rather than going, no, it's not about me, it's about him. The second one is you shall not make for yourself an image in any form. The third one is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And the fourth one is to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Those first four commandments, if we were to go back in time, were, were, were forms, were patterns, were instructions of how we are to worship. Jesus did not come in and do away with those. He came and basically said, I'm going to sum it all up and say this. It's not just the Sabbath day, it's every day. It's not just a moment in a service, it's not just a function you do, it's every function that you are. What we don't realize is that we were planned for God's pleasure. The reason you were created, the reason God designed you, was that he would find pleasure in you. And you go, God, find pleasure in my brokenness? Yeah, find pleasure in your brokenness. That you would come and realize that you are in need of a God who is perfect. That's what an attitude of worship is. And coming back and going, no, my heart, my life, as I come with my broken heart and my broken soul and my broken mind, as I try to focus it on him, can I tell you, he finds pleasure in our worship. He finds pleasure in our efforts to try to reach him. What is worship? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever come to grips with what worship is in your life? Do you ever step back and go, so what is worship in my life? That's a question I want you to answer this morning. Is it a moment that you hear a song on the radio and go, oh, 
You hear a song on, on YouTube and you just feel God's presence and you feel these warm, warm, tingly moments in your life. Is it a moment in a service? What is worship in your life? The difficult part of this is trying to define what worship is. If you were to ask 10 different people, if I were to take time to interview every single one of you, every one of you today would come back with a slightly different perspective of what worship is. And probably to a degree, all of them would be correct. Worship is this expanse of topic that is beyond our understanding. The Webster's tries to sum it up with this. It says, it's an expression. Everyone say an expression. Expression, when we think of expression, we think of a smile on our face or a stern look on our face. An expression, something that we express, but it can be a physical expression. It can be a heart expression. An expression of reverence and adoration in thought or in deed to a supreme being or deity. Now Webster's has taken this expansive topic, this expansive idea, and he's tried to bring it to simplify it. How many like simple definitions? Well, as you're going to see here in just a moment, there's not a simple definition for worship. As you're going to see in a moment, we're not going to go through all of them because we'd be here all day, but there are over 100 words and forms throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that stand for worship. It's not wrapped up in one's word. Here in our culture, we've tried to adapt it and go, no, this is worship. Let's define it. It's a segment of time and a service. And God's going, that's not worship. You have one small little thing that you've tapped into of what the concept of worship is. And today you're saying, well, Pastor Kevin, I'm content with that form of worship. But I want to be so bold to say God's not content with that form of worship. God loves it when you come and make a joyful noise. God loves it when you come and you recognize him. But God wants more than 20 minutes of your life. Jesus came back and says, I want you to love me with all. Everyone say all. All your heart, your soul, and your mind. The focus of worship is God. You come back and you go, well, does it make me feel good? Can I tell you that if you're looking to see if it makes you feel good, you've lost your focus. Because worship's not about a feeling. You know, we can be moved by music. We can be moved by the lowering of lights. But can I tell you, it's in the hard, hard parts of life, the hardships of life that you step into and truly worship God because it's out of those hard, hard moments that we really reflect. God wants our soul focus. A.W. Tozer says this, if you cannot worship the Lord in the midst of your responsibility on Monday, it is not very likely that you were worshiping on Sunday. I want you to let that settle in. If you can't worship the Lord in the midst of your responsibilities or the mundane of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he questions, he wonders, is it true worship on Sunday? Is it just an emotional feeling? Is it an emotional high that we step into? True worship has these characteristics into it. Test yourself this morning, would you? Test your worship. True worship is going to be sacrificial. True worship is going to be something that you're not doing it for something to benefit. You're doing it as a sacrifice. True worship will realign your priorities. 
as a result of your worship unto God, whether it's in a morning worship service or it's in your everyday life, have your priorities been realigned as a result of your obedience and love for God, that you would love him with all your heart, soul, your mind? True worship is a relationship, and it's not replaced by a ministry. I'm speaking in a post pandemic situation where a lot of people have given up ministries. So I'm calling you back to serving. I'm calling you back to ministries. But can I tell you, oftentimes people will step in and go, I'm worshiping by just ministering. Can I tell you that that is a form of worship? But God wants your life, not just your service. God wants your life, not just an act or a behavior or fulfilling a role. True worship is God-focused and not self-focused. When we come into a service on Sunday morning and go, I just don't feel like it. Let me ask you, who are you worshiping at that moment? When you come in and go, I don't want to clap my hands. Who are you worshiping at the moment? When you come in and go, I don't want to raise my hands. Who are you worshiping at the moment? You're saying, well, Pastor Kevin, what if it's just not my personality? Can I tell you today, I'm not picking on personality. I want to talk about obedience to God's word. The Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people. The Bible says, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. He's not speaking to a group of people that might feel it or not feel it. He's coming and going, no, I deserve this, so therefore do it. Respond. Worship, true worship, is a lifestyle. It's not just an activity. It's not just a moment that we step in as we do our devotions and prepare our heart before God. It's a lifestyle that we are to live. Leonard Ravenhill said this, worship is living with a preoccupation with God alone. Think about that statement, a preoccupation with God alone. Preoccupation means being absorbed with something. When you open, when you get up in the morning, tomorrow morning as you get up and you have to begin your week, are you absorbed with God or are you absorbed with you? Honestly, this morning when I got out of bed, my alarm went off, I was not absorbed with God. My alarm went off and I was absorbed with my pillow. I was absorbed with the fact of going, I don't really want to get out of bed right now. Can I call Trenton and have him preach this morning? I wasn't absorbed with worshiping God at that moment. I was absorbed with worshiping sleep. I was absorbed with me. Can I tell you that all of us, 24 hours a day, however many minutes there are in a day, we can be self-absorbed or we can be God-absorbed. Preoccupation means being absorbed with something. We should be absorbed by high thoughts of God, thinking about his love for us, his goodness, his faithfulness, and his peace. The very root of worship is, truly comes back to this reality of what you think of God. What do you think of God? Do you think that he is just this God up there that you put in a quarter or put in a coin and he drops out your answer. That if you perform correctly, that he's going to do what you expect him to do. That if you worship rightly on Sunday, everything is going to come together Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If we prioritize him for an hour and 15 minutes on a day, does that mean that everything is going to be good the rest of the week? Can I tell you that that's oftentimes how American believers, how Christians, men and women think about their relationship with God. And God comes back and says, no, I want you to love me every single moment of every single day with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. 
Now, how many know that we all fall very, very short? Anybody fall short this week? Anybody else fall short today? Can I tell you that that's where we come back and we need God's mercies. We need God's grace, right? We need his divine enablement as we look into a very, very uh, familiar passage of Scripture, probably one of my very favorites, and you're going to hear me preach on it, but I want to take the angle of worship from this verse of Scripture, two verses, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Everyone, uh, starting with there, it says, therefore, everyone say, therefore. Therefore, I urge you, Paul comes, I implore you, I try to encourage you. Like this morning, I'm coming, I'm urging you to change your perspective on worship. I'm urging you, I'm stepping on your, on your toes a little bit, I'm in your face about the topic. Paul's going, I urge you, I'm in your face about this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's look at the context of chapter 12 real quickly before we step in. Context of chapter 12 means that there are how many chapters prior to chapter 12? You guys are really good. There are 11 chapters prior to Romans chapter 12. If you've taken any understanding of grammar or any understanding of writing, you know that Paul starts off this passage of Scripture with a word, and it says, therefore. How many know the lesson that you have to step back when it says, therefore, you step back and go, what is it there for? Why is it there? reason it's there is I want you, for you to understand these two verses of Scripture. You have to understand the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. You have to come back and understand and grasp what is Paul referring to when he says, therefore, Paul has just got done preaching and inspiring and writing uh, this whole process. He's, he's uh, coming and arguing why the cross and the resurrection and Jesus changes everything. He's comparing the Old Testament religion to a New Testament relationship. He's coming back and he's going, all of these things, it looks like this, but this is what it is. He talks about faith. He talks about sanctification. He talks about grace. He talks about mercy. He talks about forgiveness. And Paul comes in chapter 12 and he says, therefore, as a result of all of this stuff, as a result of all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done. Therefore, therefore, I urge you, I implore you, I challenge you, I plead with you in view of God's mercies. As you look back at the last 12, 11 chapters, as you look back at your life, in view of God's mercy upon your life, your response should be. Now, if we're unable to see the mercies of God, if we're unable to see his compassions and his kindness and his goodness in our life, we don't properly worship. Can I tell you that when we come to a place and we go, oh, I'm just doing this in an activity, I like that song, it sounds cool. Can I tell you what we're doing is we're worshiping an image. We're worshiping a, a fallacy of what we think worship is. Worship has to come back and be founded in the mercy of who God is. Of all that he's done for your life, we have to go back and rehearse Romans 1 through 11. 
Maybe you're sitting here going, I don't know what Romans 1 through 11 is. My challenge for you this week is to go read Romans 1 through 11 to see what it is that you're partakers of. To see what it is that Jesus Christ himself has purchased for you if you're a follower of Christ. In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies is sacrificial. It's a sacrifice. It's holy. It's pleasing. And he comes on and he says, it's proper. It's the thing that is proper of us. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, we see not just an event of worship, we see a lifestyle of worship, that our proper response in view of God's mercy is that we offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice that's pleasing unto him. And it's living, it's not dead. It's dying to self. It's putting to death ourselves and our self-will and our self-desires. When we come and we culminate all of these these, things, purposes of the church of serving and evangelizing and fellowshipping and discipling. Can I tell you that all of those culminate in worship? All of those are elements of worship. They're all something that God's expecting of us. I think so often we come and we misinterpret scripture whenever we see this idea of worship and we go, oh, it's an event. It's a song that they sang. It's words that they spoke. But for us to understand, we have to go back even to the Hebrew culture. The Hebrew culture is that everything you were was an act of worship unto God. There was no difference between a sacred and a secular lifestyle. It was all sacred. Everything you did, every behavior that you performed, how you lived, all of it was sacred. How you rested was sacred. How you worked was sacred. How you recreated the recreation of your life was sacred. Those were all holy things. And somewhere we've let go. And we said, well, that's secular. Can I tell you one of the most holy things you can do when you go on vacation is go and recreate? Recreate, find time with God. Not just go find self-absorbed activity, but find time that you reconnect with him. That's why devotions every single morning are so important, that you are connecting with him. You're creating your day around him. So real quickly, I want to give you four words from God's word, four four worship words, four words that are used primarily uh, primarily throughout the New Testament, three Greek words, and I'm going to give you one, one Hebrew word, which is the Old Testament. Rather than trying to go through all 100, we don't have that time. Rather than trying to find the derivatives and all the different understandings, I encourage you to go look for them. But I want to give you four encapsulating words that will tell us how we are to live a lifestyle of worship. How we can begin tomorrow. How you can begin today. How you can walk from this room. How you can begin at this very moment as I'm dialoguing these words. And you can step back and go, am I doing? How can I? Word number one is humility. Word number one is humility. And over 171 times in the Old Testament, this word, this Hebrew word, shakah, is used. It's the primary word. It's the primary word. When you think of worship, this word shakah is the most important one that rises above. And it says it is to prostrate, to bow down, to crouch, to fall down, to humbly beg, to make, to stoop. It's an act 
activity. It's an attitude of heart and mind, but it's also a physical activity. That process of laying yourself out before God. You know, the Old Testament, when you would see a priest come in to the Holy of Holies, the very first thing that they would do after they've done all their processes is they'd come in and they would lay prostrate before the Lord. Their arms out to their sides. Can I tell you today that you and I are kings and priests unto God? That as we come into God's presence, our very first response, our very first attitude is not an attitude of entitlement. It's an attitude of humility. It's an attitude of bowing down and recognizing your need for God. Recognizing who he is and how holy he is. Psalms 95.6 says this, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us, let us shaka and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Worship involves this aspect of surrendering our lives. When we look at this verse of Scripture in Psalms 95, it says there's a reason that we bow down. There's a reason of recognizing that it comes and says, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, what? Our maker. The God, the God of all creation, he created you, he created me, he created the the sky and the grass and the trees that we take pleasure in. He created the mountains and the birds and the animals. To come back and go, God, I, there is no one that's like you. I am humbled by your creation. I'm humbled by your mercy. I'm humbled by your response to me. A similar word in the Greek, bringing it back to the New Testament, a Greek derivative of this is in John chapter 4. If I, I want to remind you that Jesus, as he's speaking, is not speaking Greek. Jesus is speaking Hebrew. We look at the New Testament and we see it translated in Greek, but Jesus was Hebrew. He wasn't Greek. So Jesus is coming and he's teaching and he's imparting these truths. In John chapter 4, he says, yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father, a derivative of Shekah, a Greek translation of Shekah. We'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. It's a humility. It's an attitude to go, it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't really matter what style of music I'm listening to. Can I tell you the war that we have still raging in the church is, do we do hymns or do we do choruses? Oh, I don't like it. It's too loud, or it's not loud enough, or it's too dark, or it's too light. Can I tell you, it's not about our preferences. It's about a humility to God to go, God, I can worship anywhere, any place, any time, amongst any circumstance. It's a posture of our hearts, it's a posture of our minds. Because we're not worshiping a song. We're not worshiping a sound. We're not worshiping a light that turns on or doesn't turn on. We're worshiping the God who created everything. It's a recognition. It's a posture. It's a humbling of ourselves to go, God, it's not about me. Can I tell you that all of those things that we come in and we begin to war over in the flesh are things called preferences. Can I be in your face so strongly to say this? God doesn't give a flip about your preference. He doesn't care about your preference. 
He cares about your obedience. He came to, he came to David and he goes, David, your sacrifices, I'm glad that you brought your sacrifices. It smells good. I want a piece of beef. He goes, but your obedience is more important than your sacrifice. Your obedience is more important than the style that you step into. Would you just obey me? Say, I love you, Pastor Kevin. Number two, word number two, we step into the Greek words used 17 times in the New Testament. And it's sabomahi, to reverence and to hold in awe. To reverence and to hold in awe. So our first posture is a posture of humility. We come to this service right now and you have to go, God, does that mean I need to get on my knees right now? Maybe. Maybe in the middle of a service that you lay prostrate before him. Maybe there's this place that you come and go, no, I'm going to stand in awe. I'm going to hold him in awe of who he is. I'm going to step back and go, no, in awe of wonder of who he is. Before we can go very far to worship, we must come to grips with this idea of awe and wonder. Worship can never be a sole work of our rational mind. It's not mental ascension. And I think sometimes we try to work ourselves into a frenzy with our minds to go, let me just think of words. What is it that I'm singing? Now, I believe that we have amazing songs and we have amazing words and we're very particular about what what we sing as corporate worship. But can I tell you today that it's not the rational mind that's worshiping God. Jesus came and said, I want you to worship in spirit and in truth. Now the rational mind can kick in. You can come up with words and you can come up with phrases and you can go back to biblical words and go, God, I'm thankful for your mercy and your goodness and all of these things. But it has to come back to the very root of this as being an attitude of awe and wonder. Have you lost the awe and wonder of God? Have you gotten so caught up in the midst of life that you forget to step back and go, I am in awe of who you are? It doesn't take me very long once I get into God's creation to step back and be in awe of who God is. When I step on the sand of an ocean and I begin to look out at the expanse of the water, I, have to, I step back and I'm in awe. Not, I'm in awe of the ocean, but I'm in awe of the God who created the ocean that said, I'm going to put a boundary here and water's going to flow to here and it's not going to flow any further. When I step into the moments of mountains and I see the majesty of snow-capped mountains and the blue sky and the flowers and the God's creation of animals, I stand in awe because man did not fabricate those things. It takes me all the way back to Genesis when it says that God in himself spoke into existence these things. He called forth the mountains. He called forth the water. He called forth the earth. He called forth the grass. He called forth the sea creatures. Can I tell you that should cause us to step and stand in awe? If you've lost your awe, you need a God in God's creation. If you've lost your awe, you've lost your perspective of how, magi- how, how majestic God is. Acts chapter 2, this passage of scripture that we've settled on is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and went on and on and on. It's in verse 43. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Can I tell you, they're not worshiping the apostles in this passage of scripture. The apostles are coming and going, God, we need you to perform through us. 
These people, they need to see your wonder. They need to see how awesome you are. So God, will you do? And God began to work miracles. Can I tell you what is missing in our church services today? Is the awe and wonder of who God is. We're missing this aspect of where God's coming in and miraculously healing and restructuring people's lives. The presence of God will change who you are. God's presence Connecting with God, the most important event that we have on a daily basis, but every Sunday morning is that we come in and we connect with him, that we stop and we go, God, I'm in awe of you. Without you, I am nothing. Truly understanding the salvation that you and I experience. Word number three. This word is service. It's used 21 times. It's the Greek word latrio. Latrio. I'd probably just destroyed it there. I practiced, but I can't get it to come out right. Just take it and look for it. There it is. To render service to, to minister, to attend or to wait upon. To attend or to wait upon. Oftentimes we like this idea of service because service is something that we can self-deprecate and we can come and we can just go and look at, look at how much I've served. Look at how faithful I've been. Will you pat me on the back for the hard work that I've done? How many like recognition for your service? Today I give you recognition. We would not survive without all of the people that serve God in our church. We would not be able to do a Sunday morning service without all those people that step in and actually serve God with their gifts and their abilities. But can I tell you that it's not a service that's a service to be recognized. It's not a service to go, hey, I've been here four weeks in a row. Hey, I do this every single week. Recognize me. Now, I want to tell you, we want to appreciate, so recognition is important to us. But can I tell you, it's not truly worship unto God if you're looking for someone to pat you on the back. It's not truly worship unto God if you're looking for someone to give you an award for all that you've done. Your service unto God is reward enough. Your pleasure of God is reward enough. To attend or to wait on. To attend or to wait on. Worship is putting our focus on him. What you, it's not what you can give, get, but it's what you can give. It's what you're giving out of your heart. As we step into this process, we step back and we go, so is it hum- this humility, this awe and wonder, this service, that out of our awe and wonder we want to serve a God and make it about him. We want to attend to his needs. When we look at this word here, it's in Romans chapter 12, and it says that you would offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, basically saying, God, whatever you ask of me, I will do. Whatever you require of my life, I will do it. I will give it. It's a sacrifice to you, and it's our true and our proper worship. One translation says it's our reasonable service as unto God. Then he comes back and says, Basically, I can require of you, if you were a God that required of us for behavior's sake, I can require of you your life as a sacrifice. And Paul's coming back and softening it by going, no, it's reasonable. In view of God's mercy, in view of all that God's done for you, it's reasonable that you offer your life as a sacrifice, that you serve him. Last word this morning is intimacy. Intimacy. The Greek word is proskuneo. Actually means to kiss. To kiss. One other form of that is to 
like a dog licks his master's hand, or to hold the gaze of. This particular word is used 59 times throughout the New Testament. This word is used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, where Jesus says, we are to worship the Lord. Our, he's speaking to Satan, and he says, we're to worship the Lord, uh, our God, and him only shall we serve. When he uses the word, we are to worship, we are to, we are to kiss the hand of God, we are to kiss God, we are to gaze on God only, and only will we, will we serve him. True worship is based on a desire to honor God with our life. It's not based on my likes or dislikes. It's not based on my comfort. It's not based on my preferences. It's not based on what I look like and what my perception of someone thinks of what I look like. Can I tell you, when we get free in who we are, free in what God demands of us, asks of us, our posture in worship is going to change. Every day of our life is going to change because all we care about is gazing on Jesus, is kissing the face of Jesus. Ron and I thought it would be a great adventure in the middle of the pandemic to buy a dog. And uh, I have a picture of our dog here. This is Yeti. Uh, we've had Westies throughout the history of our lives, but how many have heard of, uh, of a, I wrote it down here, how many have heard of a service animal? You have to have a service animal for comfort. Uh, I'm declared a service human for my dog. Uh, Yeti, when she came into our lives, she was spitfire, spastic, hyperactive, great personality. But she has a genetic disorder called CMO. It impacts her jaw, impacts her ability to lick, impacts her ability to eat. She's a very high-maintenance animal. We've had some people say, well, why, why do you keep this dog around? And we really feel that we have, well, one, we've become very, very attached to her. But we prayed for her. And we come to this place of going, God, you chose us to be the caregivers of this dog for whatever reason. Fortunately, she didn't end up in someone else's home that maybe they wouldn't love her like we love her. She, like I said, she's high maintenance. But what I've discovered about her is uh, this process that I'm her support human. I leave and she whines. I come home and she's ecstatic. And the very first thing that happens when I come in the door is she crawls up my leg and is wanting me to hold her. And she is not able to lick. So, which is fortunately, we, how many don't like dog licking anyway? She's not able to lick. But can I tell you, she has this ability to nuzzle. And she will nuzzle my neck and nuzzle my beard and nuzzle my neck and nuzzle my beard. And, nu and she just is ecstatic to see me. And then after that's all done, she just stops and she gazes into my eyes. Somewhere it brings comfort. Somewhere there's this recognition to go, he's home. Can I tell you, I don't want to relate Yeti to me and God, or Yeti to us and God to me. But can I tell you that I see a symbolism that takes place in this animal. That when I come into the room, when, I when my presence is there, she's consumed, preoccupied with my presence. Everything else goes away. Can I tell you that when we get in God's presence, everything else needs to go away. The focus of our life needs to be back on him. Then we get in and we nuzzle into him. We nuzzle into him. Maybe we kiss him. Maybe we, we get uncomfortable thinking about this concept of kissing God. What? I didn't write the word. I didn't use the word. Can I tell you today, 
There's a place of intimacy that we come in this relationship with God of intimacy as we worship him and we nuzzle into him and we find comfort from him. And then we gaze into his eyes. We gaze into his eyes and we see that God is in control. I don't know about you, but when I've really truly connected with God, when I've gotten beyond Kevin and gotten beyond my problems and gotten beyond my agenda and gotten beyond my preferences... Can I tell you those moments that I know that I've connected with him and I've gazed into his eyes, there's a sense of peace that just encapsulates my life. I would love to say that it happens 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, but I'm lying if I said that. They don't happen often enough. How many can go back to a moment that you held the face of God in your hands and you felt his peace surround you? A.W. Tozer says this, worship becomes a completely personal love experience between God and the worshiper. Today, as we look at these four words, humility, awe, service, and intimacy, I ask you today, where is it that you need to step it up? Maybe all four of them. As I study this week, I'm realizing, God, I don't want my worship to be about me. I don't want my worship to be distracted by something else that's going on. God, I want my worship to be about you and only you. As I close, Donnie Brennan says, Brandon says this, in terms of worship, we must always remember that it's not about us. It's all about him. Here's the in-your-face statement. It's not about our likes. It's not about our wants. It's not about our preferences or it's not about our comforts. It's all about him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our spirit. And if that goes against our likes, wants, and preferences and comfort, and, it, and, and, and at any moment... It becomes about us. At that moment, it ceases to be worship. Hard explanation, hard definition. I ask you today, when's the last time that you stepped into wholehearted worship? When's the last time that in the middle of life, not just on a Sunday, not an event, when's the last time you stepped into a lifestyle of worship to offer in your life as a living sacrifice unto God? Colossians 3 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working, worshiping, serving for the Lord, not as human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance for the Lord, from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ who you are serving. It is the Lord Christ who you are worshiping, who your focus is upon. Purpose to make worship your focus. Would you allow your life to be shifted, your worship to be shifted, your consciousness of worship to be shifted, not just in a service, but when you come into service next Sunday, would you allow your consciousness to be shifted? I'm going to pray that God will work on your conscious level to make an intentional decision to worship God in a different way. I'm praying, going to pray this morning that when you walk out of this room, at this very moment, You're coming to a place of, God, I want to humble myself before you. God, I humbly approach you. I want to live humbly before you. God, I want to come and I want to be in awe of you with all that you're doing. God, I want to serve you. God, I want to kiss you. As we come and we close this service in a very somber moment, in a very worshipful moment, can I tell you that communion is a symbol of worship? Communion is a remembrance of what God did for us. That God sent his son Jesus 
And as we partake this morning, we're not partaking a live portion of God's, of the body of Christ or a live uh, ounce of his, or portion of his blood. We're coming and we're saying, God, I remember what your son Jesus did for me on the cross. In view of God's mercies, God, I'm recognizing your mercies today. Of all these things you've done, I come and I honor. Would you take your emblems with me this morning? Rip off your top piece there, and if you would hold your emblem of your bread in your hand online, if you'll participate with us today as we come with the emblem of bread in our hand, God, we come and we thank you for the body of Jesus Christ, the body that it represents to us of wholeness and health. God, today we eat unto ourselves healing. God, today we eat unto ourselves wholeness. God, as we look at your body and we look at who you are, you are perfect. In you, there is no no imperfections. And God, today we eat unto ourselves this wholeness and we thank you for it today. God, in view of your mercy, God, we partake. In view of your mercy, God, we are thankful today. Would you partake together? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As we take the cup, God, today in view of your mercies, in view of the blood that was shed for me and for the person I'm sitting next to, in view of the blood of Jesus that was shed for my forgiveness, to wash away my sins, to cover me. God, today we thank you. We worship you, God, as we partake. We remember today of what it is that this stands for. Would you partake together this morning? Hallelujah, Jesus. God, you are good. Come on, lift your hands across this place. God, we come in an attitude of humility. God, we come in an attitude of awe and wonder to see all of how magnificent you are. God, we come in an attitude of service today. God, to be sacrificing with our life. God, today we come out of intimacy. God, we need you. We desire you. God, would you transform us? God, would you transform our hearts and our minds and our thinking and our actions? And God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Everyone say amen today. Praise the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday. Make sure that you're present. Make sure you're on the spot. Have an amazing week. Remember to worship worship God 24 hours a day, right? Keep the attitude there. God bless. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.